Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, good morning, Liverpool One Church. You guys can go ahead and take your seats. It is so great to have you with us in church today. And that's whether you are in the room or joining us online. We, um, man, I absolutely love the words of the song that we've just been singing because I think that it's actually a declaration. I think that it's um, almost the epitome of what we believe as followers of Christ. We believe that even when we feel weak, even when our lives might be somewhat off piece to where they should ordinarily be tracking and running, we serve and follow a God that has this unique divine way of pulling the pieces of our lives together and working all things out for the good. So I don't know how you've come to be in church today. Maybe you feel like your world is a little bit disjointed. Maybe you're not too sure. Like, how did I even end up in here? I just want to say from the jump, man, I'm so glad that you're here. And even if you're just here this morning checking things out and you're a little bit uncertain, a little bit unsure, man, you're so welcome. We've built this place. We've been expecting you. We've built and designed a church that are for people just like you. But this is what we do know. We know that when we gather as a church family, not a lot of good stuff can happen or ever happen if we don't first choose to just right place God because we've all had a week. Some of our weeks have been amazing. Some of our weeks have been somewhat problematic. And I think that this is the perfect opportunity right now to almost just press the pause on the outside and become open to what God is want to do on the inside. As we say, God, we want you to speak to us today. We don't want to leave here unchanged. We don't want to just be in for another worship set and another message. We, we want to leave today feeling like we have heard from you. So let's pray because that's the only way that that's going to be possible, right? Heavenly Father, we turn our eyes up to heaven today and we're asking that as we look to you, that you would speak to the depths of our soul. That God, that today that we would find you and we would feel you. We'd figure out a way of pressing pause to everything that would distract us because in these next few moments, we're inviting you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us deep to deep. So when we leave, we'll walk out of church today feeling, knowing and sensing like we've just heard from you. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so Liverpool One Church, we're in a current series right now and we've been kicking off the start of 23, trying to, I guess, encourage you to focus on what is most important, and that really is what goes on between the ears, right? It doesn't really matter what hopes, dreams, desires, aspirations you have. If you haven't got it right in terms of how you think, chances are nothing else is going to be right either. We kind of have taken and adopted this key phrase, this key passage from Scripture that teaches us that as a man thinks, so he is. So is the outworking of his or her life according to the thoughts that take place in his or her mind. 
I guess that it's almost like a critical time of the year. It's the one time of the year where we're most likely to do what we don't choose to do throughout the remaining 11 months. And that's almost like self-evaluate where we're all at. And sometimes it's good to just try and implement some new habits some new practices. In fact, actually, um, it's a really good time of year to ask four really critical questions. And if you've like got your phone out, you can note these down. Or if you're taking some notes, I would note these questions down because sometimes it's just good for you, even though we're in church today and we're gonna get into the scriptures for in a moment, we, we're so convinced that by following Jesus, it makes your life better and you better at life. There are sometimes practical outworkings of that and sometimes it's asking these four questions. It's a good time of the year to ask yourself, what's working? Like always start with the positive. Find the things that you're just happy with, you're pleased with, that are just tracking and tracing well in your life. Ask the question, what's working? And then secondly, ask, what's not working? Because unless you can establish what's not working in your life, you stand very limited chance of being able to reconfigure what's going on and through this process of self-evaluation, be able to put the wrongs right. It can be controversial though, because it can be a long conversation, especially if you're married, but ask what's not working. The, second thing, the third thing you can ask is, what's missing? Now, for many of us in the month of January, it's probably broccoli. Broccoli is missing from my life. More broccoli, more celery. That's gonna help us all lose a load of weight. We're gonna kind of finish the year stronger if we just have some more healthy food. And maybe the fourth great question to ask is, um, what's confusing? For me, the answer is, why don't I like to eat as much broccoli? But what's missing and what's confusing? Again, these are all questions that you can use to post your own self-evaluation of your life to track where are you? Because if you don't know where you are, it's very hard to figure out where you want to get to. And you can ask those four questions over every area of your life. In fact, I would encourage you, ask those questions over your marriage. Ask those questions over your sex life. Ask those questions over your parenting. Ask those questions over where you're at in the business and the career right now. But evaluate those questions. In fact, it's not an uncommon thing for my wife, Emma, to do these self-evaluating questions. And actually, normally, a few times of the year, Emma will actually say to me things like, hey, can I just talk to you about what's not working? And almost 100% of the time, it's always about communication. And I think the last time that we had this conversation, Emma was like, you just... You just never ask me about my day. Why don't you ask me about your day? Now, in my defense, I'm kind of like, hun, because I live with you, we share the same bed, and your office is one meter away from mine. Like, I know what's happening in your day. Like, I don't need to ask the question. She's like, even if you know, you should still ask me. Tell me what you've been doing in my day. Because as you ask these questions, it just gives you some insight into your life. It just helps you map out how your life could end up being in maybe just a few months' time. But if we really want to get better at life, it's probably gonna take us being more strategic than just asking those four questions. We should start there, but there's something else that I want to encourage you to do today that in a moment we're gonna go and find the scripture that we're gonna pull this text out of to help bring some definition to all of these concepts but there's one thing that you have to do if you want to see positive change in any area of your life, and it all falls down to this phrase of keystone habits. 
Keystone habits. If you want to get better at life, then you need to have some keystone habits. They're not just ordinary, regular habits. They're a different type of habit because a keystone habit has a way of positively impacting all of the other habits that you might choose to implement in your life. Let me give you a definition of what a keystone habit is. These are habits that statistically tend to lead to or correlate with other great habits. So why does this matter? Why is it important that in church we understand what keystone habits are? Well, again, what we're finding is now science and research is now catching up to what Scripture has been telling us for thousands of years. Because the Bible, these, this amalgamation of these ancient manuscripts and documents that have been collated over thousands of years, these have been saying some truths that when you adopt them into your life, even today, they can have so much benefit that now even science is saying, yeah, we think that is true. In Scripture, there are a number of keystone habits. These are the habits that when you prioritise these habits, it helps you accomplish your goals and your achievements in all of the other areas where you're trying to develop other positive habits. But why does it matter? The best way that I can describe to you that why this matters to me is that if you've ever had a friend or a family member in my job, just by virtue of the fact that I'm a pastor of a local church, it would not be uncommon that sometimes I have the opportunity to just meet with different people. And it's not uncommon for sometimes people to voice things like, hey, my life is in a mess. My world is just in an absolute mess right now. I don't know where is up and where is down. And you know what this is like too, because you've got friends and family and colleagues who've experienced the same thing, and maybe they've opened up their heart to you at some point. And they'll kind of start to list everything that's just going wrong in their life. And being a recipient of everything that they're saying can oftentimes feel a little bit overwhelming. I mean, when they start to bring the list out and you're trying to dig into the weeds of like, what's really the problem in your life? And then it just starts and it's like, well, the thing is, is we've racked up X amount of money on credit card debt and it's not just one card. We've now got a load of them and we've also got like huge issues with our children because like two of them, they just don't want to speak to us. It's like relationally, everything is broke. I'm also like completely overweight. I just can't seem to get the body figure that I want to have. I've got huge things that I'm just addicted to online. I've got stuff going on that nobody else knows. I hate my job. I'm unhappy in my marriage. And when you sit on the other side of somebody voicing that to you, it's overwhelming because it lends the question, where do you start? Like, what do you tell them to do first? Like, concentrate on the marriage first or to deal with the debt first? Like, what, what do you concentrate on and focus on first? And it can almost feel a little bit overwhelming. I think, though, that what keystone habits do is it gives answer to that, that question. It gives great clarity when you're trying to figure out, what do I need to do first? So, for example, healthy eating habits are a keystone habit. In other words, what science is now telling us and research is proving is that if you can get control of your eating habits, it increases massively the likelihood of you being able to adopt other good habits. And yet if you start on the other habits first, it's more likely that you will never 
See them come to the place in your life that you've been hoping for. Yet if you start with just looking at healthy eating, because healthy eating, it speaks really about living a disciplined life. Like if you can get control of what you consume, then you can probably control every other area of your life. You know, I say this a little bit tongue in cheek, but like just hear my heart in it. Like I've always had um, an issue when sometimes people want to come and give me a word from God, but they're like 15, 20 stone overweight because it tells me that if you're not disciplined in what you eat, then it's highly unlikely that you're gonna be spiritually disciplined with what God is entrusting you to. And it just almost makes me go like, I, I, don't, I don't see how we follow that. That's, that's not an easy sell to me. And yet the research would say about if you just eat healthily, it has so many benefits. If you concentrate on this one keystone habit of just eating right, these are the benefits that have now been shown and proven that happen to those that conquer their eating habits. Firstly, their workplace productivity and job satisfaction increases. So in other words, don't fixate and create habits about your job. If you just start eating healthily, it outworks positively in the area of your work. The second thing, they tend to acquire greater self-control. Well, that makes total sense to me, as we've just discussed. Thirdly, they tend to experience less tension with workplace colleagues who could do with a little less stress in their lives. Well, it can start when you adopt a keystone habit of eating healthily. They also tend to report less tension in their marriage and family. They tend to use credit cards less. And overall, they just experience less stress. If we flip that round, what we could say is they experience more peace. And where did this start? By changing 101 things? No, it just started through the discipline of getting control of their eating habits. In other words, it positively affects all of the other areas of your life. It increases your self-discipline in every other area of your life. But what's fascinating to me is that the scriptures are full of keystone habits. And we're gonna go in a moment to the New Testament. We're gonna go to Luke's gospel. Luke was a doctor, he was super forensic. He seems to have this habit of recording details in his account of Jesus' life that the other gospels don't always record in such finite detail. And we're gonna go to a well-known passage of scripture that I guess really, if we wanna just say it as it is, this is a passage of scripture where there's just an argument in a family unit, it's super stressy, and Jesus ends up getting brought into it. It's an argument that starts to happen between two two sisters called Martha and Mary, and it gets super, super stressy. So let's look at Luke chapter 10, and then I want to try and help pull out some biblical keystone habits that we can all work out in our lives that can see us all do life better. Luke 10, verse 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Uh, before we go on, I just want to interject and I right now want to go off piste somewhat. I want to just talk to you very briefly and make one really key significant point that we find out about Jesus and his relationship and his perception of women. Uh, 
Because it's a super important discussion because I'm surprised that even in 2023, a lot of people want to contest and argue certain facets of this. But what you've got to know that Jesus is actually telling us and Luke is describing in his account of Christ is that actually, if you've ever wondered about how Jesus sees women, then it's depicted for us in this story here. Because what Jesus was doing when he went into the home of Martha, where we find that Mary was sat at the feet of Jesus. You have to understand the context that Jesus in his day will have been this exceptionally revered rabbinical teacher. And man, it would have been an honor to have been around Jesus at this point in his ministry. And it's telling us that Jesus allowed Mary to come in and sit at his feet. This was an an extension, if you like. It was an invitation of Jesus saying to women, hey, listen, what God is up to on the planet, you are completely included within this. This is not a man thing. This is not a male-driven positional thing. You are included within this to the ultimate level. And this was going so against all of the cultural norms of the day. So you've got to understand that in this century, this was so controversial So it's interesting that Luke recounts it. It's just him saying that Jesus values women so much so he's willing to go and have a meal in their house and they can sit at his feet as he's teaching through the Scriptures. Okay, there's my diversion over. Let's get back into the Scriptures. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So like, just picture this. I don't know how long Martha was waiting for this gig, but probably for weeks and months. She now can't believe that Jesus is coming for breakfast at her house. I mean, like, this is such a big deal. But what do we find happens to Martha when Jesus arrives at her her house? We find that Martha ends up being so distracted. I mean, she's worried now. She's so distracted, and not with the presence of Jesus being in the room, She gets distracted by all of the practical stuff that needs to be taken care of. She's getting angry, as we're going to find out, with her own sister. She feels like she's the one that's running around, having to set the table, make the meal, clean the house, make sure everywhere's polished and hoovered. Like, this is a big, stressful moment for Martha. And she's so distracted by all the preparations that have to be made. So she came to him, meaning Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I'm not too sure that trying to place a guilt trip on Jesus was the best tact here by Martha. I'm just just saying. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. Underline that. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I think that what you've got to understand is that every single word that's in Scripture is there for a reason. And sometimes we don't necessarily see the reasoning out there on the surface. We've got to almost go digging for it and ask that question, God, what are you trying to convey to me through this story? 
And I think that what we find as we start to peel back the layers is that Martha was just a woman in many respects that was just like each and every one of us. She got so caught up and distracted just with life just with the stuff that she had to do, her regular routine, her schedule, and this is stressing her out. She was so distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. And I think that that same statement that is told about Martha is the same statement that applies to each and every one of us at times too. You can even be in church right now and still be living in a different place. You can be here physically, but mentally, like you've checked out because you're distracted and you're worried and you've just got stuff going on. Like it would not be uncommon for people to be in church, sat where you are right now. And yet at the same time, you're distracted because you're worried about not knowing where the rent's gonna come from this month, not knowing what's gonna happen with the economy. Like what's not knowing what's gonna happen in a couple of months' time when the energy cap tariff all changes. Like you just sat here right now and you're trying to find God in all of this, but you're distracted by the worries that exist in your life. For others of you, it's not a money thing, but it's something's going on in your body. And there's a lump and there's a bump and you just can't bring yourself to tell anybody. You can't even contemplate the idea of going to see a GP and it's just on your mind all of the time and you don't know what to do about it. You've got nobody to talk about it and it's distracting you. It's robbing you of your best life. For others of you, it feels like, man, you're so distracted because you've got stuff going on with your kids. They've just started to be strange and secretive and now they'll never let you see their phone and they've just started to behave over the last couple of weeks and months in a way that's just alarming and concerning for you. For others of you, you've got a family member, someone that you love that is a friend of yours and they're just going through like a hellish relational breakdown, like divorces on the cards and it just looks like their life is in complete ruin and you wanna be of a help but you don't know how to be of a help and you're just distracted. And yet, I think that in that entire passage of Scripture that we've read from, the most key and significant part of the story is what Jesus said in verse 42, where he says, Mary has chosen what is better. If we were to paraphrase what Jesus was saying in that Scripture that I think relates to all of our life too, he was telling Martha, hey, Martha, The way that you're heading in your life is not helpful, but I want you to know that there is another way. I want you to know that Mary has a different set of values and priorities to you, and her way is a better way. It's almost like Jesus was saying, prioritize what is most important first. You know, I've always been convinced actually that Good priorities can overcome a whole bunch of unbecomings in your life and in mine. I think that good priorities will always beat talent and intelligence over time. I can remember actually going back a whole bunch of years now we, with our youngest son, and I hope that he won't mind me telling this story. But like in terms of education, he's done absolutely great. But there was one subject that he found particularly difficult when he was going through school, and that was in the area of maths. And in fact, it would bother him out. It would like really weigh on his mind. And he'd always struggle with his maths homework. He didn't like doing his maths homework. He's never liked a maths teacher in his life. And like the whole relationship between him and maths just got awkward and difficult. And I can remember being sat at probably maybe first year of high school and the teacher having Emma and I come in for parents' evening and sitting us down and saying, listen, the thing is with Solomon, he needs to be doing more maths. 
Like he needs to be working harder on his homework. He needs to be spending more time on his maths. And I can remember sat across the table, I said, listen, I don't wanna be rude. I don't wanna be funny. Solomon's not gonna be doing any more maths. He's not gonna be worried about this. I'm not gonna allow him to get anxious about how he feels or he's being made to feel like he's worthless in the area of, of maths, which is completely not true. Because what you don't know about Solomon is that he might not be an A-star student in maths, but you give him an instrument and he can make the thing sing. You put the boy behind a drum kit and since about the age of 14, he's probably been on world-class level. Like he's got stuff going on there that, that it might not be here, but you're viewing and judging his intelligence through one lens of you wanting to achieve and attain a student, having a grade. When I want you to know, no, what's most important to me is not like he becomes intelligent in maths. He just becomes intelligent in whatever area that God has graced him with a talent and a unique ability. So we're not going to prioritise maths. We're going to prioritise music. And I'm going to let him play music till stupid o'clock at night, which I regret now. In fact, it's not uncommon. Like I'll text him midnight like, dude, got to go to bed, dude. This is way too noisy. He's like, okay, 20 more minutes. But I'm going to prioritise that because I think he can fly in that area. And that, that, that's, that's is not going to be in his future. So I didn't want him to misappropriate what he should value in his life because it was not going to be the leading or the direction of his life. And most people don't know how to choose the right priorities in life. Most people sometimes don't have the confidence to say, I'm not doing that, I'm going to be doing this. And I think that you've got to understand that the right values and the right priorities are often not the values and priorities that the world will tell you that they are. Because even if we think along those lines for a moment, it's true, isn't it? The world will tell you that the most important thing that you should prioritise is like your job, your career. Just make sure you earn the money. Make sure you exert your influence in as far out a place as is humanly possible. And if you get that right, then everything else will work out. But you know what's crazy? Statistically, it's interesting to me that the people that are earning six figures are now proven to be the most angry, the most dissatisfied, and the most unhappy, which is kind of ruining my prayer life because I am the guy that's saying, God, you can trust me with it. You can trust me with it. I'll prove you wrong. <laughs> but the reality of it is that we think that sometimes having more wealth equals a happier life, but actually wealthier people aren't necessarily happier than poor people at all. It's the same actually when we think about how we parent our kids. Sometimes we think that what's most important is that they're in every club going and you're run ragged, getting them out to swimming, football, horse riding, this, that, this club, that group of friends. And we feel like in order for our kids to be successful, we've got to get them out at everything. But actually, it's not what the research says. In fact, the number one indicator of having a healthy, happy, well-balanced child, the number one predictor of child success is none of those things. It's a parent choosing to spend time with their child. Check that out. And you know what's funny? The second predictor of child outcomes in terms of like how happy they're going to be, how balanced they're going to be, is the stress level of the parents. So just so you know, whilst you're running around trying to get them here, get them there, and you're stressing them out, and now you're getting stressed because they never listen to you. They might not listen to you, but I promise you they're watching you. And your stress levels are affecting the potential outcome that's happening in your child. This is what research is telling us. We live in a world that just misappropriates value. 
and priorities. And I think that Jesus was trying to say, look, Martha, you're doing it that way. Mary's chosen a better way here. And this is what we find where Jesus is saying, Mary has chosen better. She was saying that she's got better values and better prioritized. She knows how to stack her life better. A couple of years ago, literally, we're in the throes of the pandemic, and Emma and I, man, we chose to bet the farm, and we literally did a thing where we sold our house at a high price. We bought a property at a lower price and then renovated it, and in between, it meant that we were having to like move in with parents, and it was awkward, and it was hard work. And when we came to moving out of our house, Emma said, like, hey, what day are the movers coming? And I was like, we're not bringing in movers, hon. Like, I'm going to do this. Like, we've got three kids Like, seriously, they can all come and they can all help and they can all pack the van. Like, I'm going to borrow my brother's van and we're going to do this. And she's going, I think it'd be well easier if we bring in the movers. And I'm like, no, I got this, hon. Like, we've never had the joy and experience of moving house before, so let's do this. Honestly, I got this huge van and we'd hired these two storage units and it took me about eight trips over about four or five days every single evening, just driving there and back two trips a night and it was hard work. You know, when the time came for us to move into our house that we'd been renovating, Emma was like, are you doing the van thing again? Or can we please bring in the movers? I was like, oh, of course we're bringing in the movers. Makes perfect sense to me. (laughs) So we bring in the movers and they did the whole thing in one trip in a van that was only slightly bigger than mine. Now, here's my point. They just had a way of prioritizing what went where in the van. And as a result of them choosing how they prioritised the stacking of the van, it meant that their capacity had greatly increased. Our our priorities determine our capacity. It's your priorities that determine your capacity. I mean, it's true financially, isn't it? Had a brilliant conversation with some of our friend's daughter a couple of weeks back, and we were talking about money. They were just telling me all about how they just started their first job and they were earning. And my question, I do this with all my kids. I do it with my friend's kids too. I'm like, so what are you doing with your money? Come on, let's talk about the money. And they were kind of like, well, I like to buy clothes. I said, no, no, like, what's your plan? Because if you can have a plan at like 16, honestly, it's a game changer. Because it means that you're not gonna hit 40 and then all of a sudden, do what everybody else is doing, which is running around like crazy going, I need a plan for my money. I'm like, no, from day one at 16. Okay, this is what we do. Firstly, we honour God with our money. We always take the first tenth and we go, God, that's yours because you're the one that's given me breath in my lungs. You've given me the ability to make money. So the first tenth is yours. And now the second thing that we do with our money is you're going to pay yourself. So you're going to take another 10. You can even make it more. You're going to take 10, 15, 20% and you're going to pay yourself. Like you're going to put it into a savings account. And in fact, as soon as you're 18, I'm going to show you an app and you can invest it and you can just have your money grow for you. And I want you to understand what compound interest is, because if you can understand in your 20s what compound interest is, it's highly likely that you'll be in your 60s and 70s as a millionaire. And the only reason why most people aren't is because nobody wants to think about this in their 20s. They want to do it in their 40s and 50s, when oftentimes it's just way too late. But the truth is, is if you prioritise the right steps financially first, it's going to increase your capacity later financially. It's the same with regards to our relationships too. If you prioritise 
your relationship with your children over your relationship with your wife, I promise you, you're gonna have a really difficult life. Yet if you would just prioritize your relationship with your wife, then everything else will just seem to flow and work better. So back to some keystone habits. Matthew 6, verse 33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all these things, meaning all the other stuff that the pagans run after and chase, the money, the job, the girl, the guy, the stuff, the influence, all this other stuff. When you choose to prioritise God first, all that stuff comes to you anyway. It's a key stone habit. Like you won't even have to pursue it. Money, wealth, whatever it is, that it'll chase you down the street when you choose to prioritise God first. You know, family dinners are a keystone habit. This dinner that Jesus was having with Martha and Mary, it's a keystone habit. And I'll tell you why. We're living in an age and a culture right now where a lot of people are doing dinner on trays in front of the TV. You know what's funny? Like, and I'm not in any way saying how great am I, how great are we? I certainly don't mean it like that. But actually, as a habit in our home, we have like almost very rarely ever had dinner on a tray in front of the TV, unless we're having a takeout watching the boxing, in which case exceptions are allowed, okay? But the reality of it is, is we sit down either at a table or a breakfast bar with cutlery and we do dinner together. But the National Centre of Addiction and Substance Abuse in Columbia University, they did a study on family outcomes. And what they were able to find was, find was that teenagers that regularly eat dinner with family, when compared to children that eat dinner with family less than three times a week, there were huge differences when predicting outcomes. This is what they found. The kids that would eat family dinners regularly were three times less likely to smoke cannabis and do drugs. They experienced lower stress levels at home, lowered the risk of suicide. They were more likely to confide in their parents. They were more likely to get good grades more likely to say that their parents are proud of them. Why? It's just a keystone habit. It's one of those things that when you prioritise that first, it just outworks in all of these other ways in a healthy way for you. Family dinners, it's a keystone habit. Coming to church is a keystone habit. Psalm 92 says that planted in the house of the Lord that you will flourish. The idea is, is that you're gonna be like this plant that's right bedded in beside some clear, healthy water and everything that grows and flows off your life is going to be strong and healthy. It's a keystone habit. And actually what's interesting, and I guess that you're going to have to just judge me for a moment, and I'm okay with that. I guess it, it comes with the territory of being a pastor. You might think that what I'm about to tell you is loaded. I promise you it's not. I'm going to share with you some research that has come out that was conducted by non-Christian people. So these are not people of faith. And yet these are the answers in their study that they found related to people of the Christian faith who have a regular habit of going to church. This is what they said they experienced. People who regularly go to church, I didn't make this stuff up, okay? I know it's loaded. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to tell you, you've got to be in church. I get that. But I want you to be in church because I know of its benefits to you. It, it, you know, like... 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, like it doesn't make a huge difference to me. It used to float my ego when I was a lot younger, but that sort of stuff now, it really doesn't. So I promise you, I've got your interest at heart. The research is telling us that people that regularly go to church have, one, better physical health 
a better sex life. Woohoo! There's a reason to come to church. Better grades, better mental health, better time management. And check this, if there was ever a reason to regularly come to church, it's because statistically you're going to live 7 to 14 years longer than the general population. Boom. If there was ever a reason, coming to church extends your life. But here's the thing. Our priorities determine our capacity. What if the Bible was right all along? What if when you choose to plant your life in the courts of the Lord Most High, then it will flourish? What if if it was right all the time? And by the way, love you online family, but actually the benefits are not the same to digital church. And we do it, we're a fan of it, like we've invested in it, our teams have bought into it. Digital church is great, but we see it more like the shop window. This is the thing to go and check out, maybe build your confidence up before you get to come into church. But our goal is that one day you would come in to this thing that we call church. And hey, here's another thing you've got to know. Even if you miss church a couple of times a month, all of those benefits tend to plummet massively. So in other words, coming to church or saying, I go to church regularly, but if it's only like once in every three weeks or once in every four weeks, you don't have those same benefits available to you according to this study that was conducted by non-Christian people. There is just something about the consecutive attendance being in church that just, and I'm not trying to do this to make you feel guilty. I don't need that pressure in my life. I've got way too much of my own stuff going on to try and pressure you into coming to church. But I'm saying it because I want to encourage you so that you can understand that often it's not like doing 10 big things that makes the biggest difference in your life. It's oftentimes just the small collection of small, great keystone habits that makes all the difference, that makes all the change. Like what if the gap between where you are now and where you want to be is just the change of a few keystone habits. Okay, back to the Bible, because that's where we're at today. The third thing that I want to talk to you about as we look at how Martha was reoriented is really found in Luke 10, verse 40, because what you've got to know is that if you're going to choose to follow Jesus, it's not necessarily going to be the easiest life, but it is going to be the best life. And in Luke 10, 40, it tells us that she, meaning Martha, came to him, meaning Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So now what we find is that Martha is doing what we do all the time. When something's wrong in our life, we just blame those that are closest to us. And what we're actually finding here is a great example of people who aren't getting healthy always become critics of those who are. You know, the other day when it was like super icy, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday and like town was just gridlocked. I was coming into my office here and I got like literally caught up in just horrendous traffic on Vauxhall Road. And like it's snowing outside almost and everywhere's icy, it's freezing, like we're not moving anywhere. As I'm sat there in the traffic and I'm like, I don't know, maybe a half a mile away from the office, there is this guy that goes running past my car and he's got like his short shorts on, he's got his little running vest, he's got his backpack on that he's probably got his suit in because his plan is run to work and then get a shower and then do a day's work. God's honest truth. I'm sat there in my car on my own. This guy goes running past and I'm looking at the floor. It's icy, it's snowing. And I literally said out loud, state of him in his 118 vest. Literally, like... How cruel, how unkind, just because I'm feeling almost guilty that he's out running, doing a healthy thing, whilst I'm just sat in my car at state of him. 
Who's he think he is running past my car? Like, what the, why don't you get in a car like the rest of us? You know, and it's like, it's true. We do have a tendency sometimes to criticize people that are getting healthier than us. And what I love about Mary's response is that she chose not to argue the point. When Martha's having a go to Jesus saying, hey, Mary should be doing all of this, Mary doesn't say anything. Mary actually just decides. She determines in her own mind that actually what she's gonna do is she's gonna try and tune into the right voice. So they're in the middle of a room where there's an argument taking place. Mary has to make a decision to say, I'm not listening to Martha because my eyes are fixed on Jesus. I'm not listening to Martha's complaints. And I'm saying all of this to say that when you choose to follow Jesus and implement some of these keystone habits, you are gonna have people that turn around and say, Stacey, you go into church every week, like seriously? Like you can go once a month, it's, it's sound, it's fine. No, no, hang on a minute. It, that's not what a keystone habit is. You will have people that will criticize you. When you choose to get healthy and lose the weight and do the thing, you'll have people saying, well, I could do that if I chose to, I just don't choose to do it. The reality of it is, is when you choose to get healthy, other people around you don't like it. So I guess that those three keystone habits today are the only three things I want you walking out of church knowing. One, eat dinner together as a family. The benefits are massive. Number two, go to church weekly. The benefits are massive. And number three, tune into the right voices. Before you try and lose the weight, do the gym, do the thing, get the job, go to the interview, just look at them three things. Eat dinner together, Go to church weekly and tune in to the right voices. Church, let's stand to our feet. We're gonna pray and then the band are gonna sing some more. If we could just close our eyes and bow our heads real quick. Heavenly Father, we, we're in church today knowing that following you makes us better at life and our lives better. But we also are aware that actually that we have a part to play too. God, help us not to take you for granted and help us to play our part. Help us to implement these three keystone habits so that we can tune into your voice. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us master these keystone habits so that it massively disproportionately affects for the good all of the other habits that we desire to achieve in this coming year. Because we understand as a man thinks, so he is. And with every eye still closed, one real quick prayer. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but you're in church today, the best keystone habit that you can ever make is making a choice and a decision to become a follower of Him. So whilst no one's looking around, if you've never made that decision, I'm gonna say a prayer right now. You can pray it in your heart. And as you do so, this is you saying, actually, I wanna know who God is. I, wanna, I want to enter into a Christian way of life. Say these words after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today wanting to know about all that you are. I believe you're real. I believe that you gave your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me so that I could know you. So today, would you make me clean? Wash away all of my sin as I choose to follow you, give you my life as from this day forward, I'm calling myself a 
follower of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.